All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Wow, there's a lot of people here. Um, so good to be able to worship with you. If you're uh, new or checking out Citizens for the first time, want to introduce myself. My name is Jason. I have the privilege of serving as the pastor here at the church. Um, again, if you have any questions or want to get plugged into our community, would love to uh, help you do that. Um, you can talk to any of our hospitality val volunteers. You can meet us at the information table outside, or you can come speak to me after service. Um, I'm always kind of standing around here awkwardly in this room, so um, come speak to me. I would love to help you get plugged in to our community. Uh, well, with that, uh, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 14, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. If you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. And I believe it'll be on the screen behind me as well. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. This is the reading of God's word. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, as you know, our church is currently in a Names of God series, where uh, each week, uh, we're taking a name of God and, and, and studying it because we believe that each of these names is meant to give us some insight into God's character, to draw us closer into who he is. And uh, um, today, uh, we're looking at one of my personal favorites, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Okay, let's say that together, Jehovah Jireh. All right, with a little bit more fuego, Jehovah Jireh. All right, we're going to learn Hebrew by the end of this, okay? Um, the Lord will provide. What a prophetic name for this season for our church, for us as individuals. 
Uh, the name Jehovah Jireh appears only once in the Old Testament, and it's in this story of Abraham and his son Isaac. Okay, if you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the life of Abraham, this guy who back in Genesis 12 is called by God to leave his home, to leave everything that's familiar to him and to go settle in a foreign land um, with nothing but a promise that God would bless him, make him into a great nation, bless the wor world through him and his descendants. I know that many of us here in this room are transplants in LA. You know, we've come here because uh, we feel called um, to pursue our dreams or our career aspirations. And, and I suspect that many of you probably can relate to Abraham, right? You're scared, you're a little nervous, a little anxious, maybe doubting yourself, have no idea what the future looks like, but you're choosing to take a step out in faith. Well, imagine, uh, you know, you felt this tug, right? Imagine you felt this deep internal sense uh, that God was calling you here to LA to pursue a career in, in acting, right? So uh, you uh, pack up your things, you say bye to your friends and family, you come over to LA, you know, you live in a small studio apartment, you get three part-time jobs to make ends meet, and imagine if for 25 years you can't find a job. Audition after audition after audition, one rejection after the next, some close calls here and there, but in the end, it's always, you're just, not you're just not what we're looking for. I mean, most of us would not last 25 years, but this is how long Abraham has to wait for his promised son. So you can only imagine what's going through Abraham's mind and his heart when he holds baby Isaac in his arms for the first time, when he's looking at his boy and he's saying, I've waited for you, for 25 years, for 25 years. If I'm Abraham, I'm never letting Isaac go. I'm never putting him down because when you receive a gift that precious, you don't wanna let it go. And it feels like if you've read the story of Abraham from Genesis 12, it feels like Abraham deserves this. You know, his name we talked about in a previous sermon, his name means father of many. So imagine you're walking around with this name, father of many, and you don't have a son. And finally, he gets the son through whom the promise of his name will be fulfilled. I mean, you can only imagine the joy. You can only imagine the overwhelming emotion. And you wish the story of Abraham ended there. But it doesn't. Because Genesis 22 happens. And in Genesis 22, God comes to Abraham and he asks him to do the unthinkable. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. And as if to really rub it in, he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Just in case you don't know who I'm talking about, just in case you, you might misunderstand me, take this son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering. If you remember, uh, Abraham has another son, Ishmael, uh, with 
his maidservant Hagar, but by this point in the story, Ishmael has already been sent away. So Isaac is literally all that Abraham has left. Not only is he the sole heir of the family inheritance, he is. I mean, like, if you're the sole heir of the family inheritance, that means you are the ticket to security, significance. I mean, you know, anyone who's an older sibling in this room or, you know, anyone who's like the lone child knows kind of the burden that gets placed on your shoulders. It's another level if you're the remaining male heir in the family in biblical times. So not only is Isaac the sole heir of the family inheritance, he is Abraham's most precious child. Your only son whom you love. He is the source of Abraham's deepest joy and happiness, the one Abraham dreamed about every night for almost a quarter century. God says, I want you to take this son and sacrifice him to me. What kind of God is this? What kind of God makes you wait 25 years for something only to take it away? I remember talking to someone at our church who had been praying for a job for over two years. She'd been praying, Carol and I had been praying for her, and she finally got the job. God finally delivered. But you know when he delivered that job? February of 2020. And then March 2020 happened. The entire world shut down. Her company did a first round of layoffs, and who's the first to go? The most recent hires. So she was cut. And she was like, what was that? Like, was there a lesson I was supposed to learn from all this? Why make me wait two years for something only to take it away? Um, in college, there was an older sister at my church who was single. She's, she'd been looking for a husband. She wanted to get married. She'd been praying for a husband for years. Okay, just could not find the right guy. Just waiting for God to send her that perfect person. And after a season of waiting and praying, God finally answered. She met the perfect guy. He's a great guy. He was a normal guy, which is very rare in today's day and age. Just a normal human being, right, who loves the Lord. And one thing led to another. He proposed, and they started planning out the rest of their lives together. God had rewarded her for her waiting and her praying, or so we thought. Because just a few months before their wedding, she got a call that would change her life forever. Her fiancé happened to be working in the World Trade Center on 9-11. And in that one instant, it was gone. Everything she had been praying about gone. The life she had mapped out with the love of her life, gone in an instant. And all of us who heard this story thought to ourselves, what kind of God does that? What kind of God makes you wait so long for something only to take it away? It doesn't make sense. There's only three possible explanations when something like this happens in your life. The first is this, that God has no idea what he's doing and he's just making it up as he goes along. Number two, that God is a cruel, heartless God who literally gets a kick out of our misery. Or three, maybe 
God sees something you and I cannot see. Maybe God sees something you and I cannot see. You know what's really interesting? This word gyra comes from a root word that means to see. Which means that to call on the name of Jehovah Jireh, you're basically saying the Lord will provide because he can see things I can't see. I'm going to put a picture up. Um, I don't know if you can see this. But what do you see when you see this picture? Probably nothing. Looks like a brown blob. Makes no sense to you. You have no idea what this is. But you see, as human beings, we lack the ability to zoom out. We don't have the zoom out function in our brains. Because when God looks at this, he sees the whole picture. Show you this. We see only one part of the whole. Because we as human beings, we just can't see anything but what's right in front of us. We can only see our circumstance or the season we're in right now. But when God looks at our lives, he sees the whole picture. What doesn't make sense to us makes perfect sense to God. You and I, we can only see and experience what's right in front of us. But this is why when things don't go our way or they don't go the way we planned, we feel like our lives are ending. We feel like our lives are imploding because it feels like God is contradicting himself. We hear the preacher on Sunday tell us, God loves you. He loves you so much. And then Monday morning rolls around and you go back to work at the job you hate with the coworkers you can't stand. You hear the preacher on Sunday tell you God is always with you, but Monday rolls around and you feel utterly and completely alone. You hear that God is supposed to protect your family. Why did he take my loved one so early? I read in the Bible that God has a plan for me, plans not to harm me, but to prosper me. But why is it that everything that could go wrong in my life is going wrong? But you see, we think this because we can only see a small part of the picture. We don't know what God is up to. Abraham certainly could not have understood why God was asking him to sacrifice his beloved son. It didn't make sense. It didn't fit with God's promise. How was God going to build a nation through Isaac without Isaac? It doesn't make sense. And don't we think like this all the time too? We think God must have made a mistake. We put God in a box and we say things like, well, how am I going to get my kids through school, save up for their college with this paycheck? How am I going to experience love in this life when I can't even find a date? God, you must have made a mistake. It doesn't make sense. And yet it's often in these moments when we can't, with our human imaginations, wrap our minds around what God is doing. It's in these moments that God is getting ready to show us something profound about himself. And I think Abraham knows this. He doesn't, it's not that he wasn't terrified. It's not that he probably wasn't heartbroken at the thought of losing his precious child. But isn't it interesting when you read this passage that Abraham doesn't fight back? There's no, are you sure, God? I think I might have heard you wrong. Can you say that again? 
Isn't this the son you blessed me with? No. It says God called Abraham's name Abraham. And he says, here I am. God tells him what to do, and it says the very next morning, he got up and loaded his donkey. No resistance. Why not? If you were asked today to give up your most precious possession, you would think there would be some opposition. You would think there would be some resistance. Abraham asks no questions. And you know why? It's because Abraham's been here before. It's not his first rodeo. If you remember back in Genesis 17, God comes to him and says, you and Sarah, you're going to bear a son. And if you remember what happens, Abraham turns around and he laughs. This is ridiculous. Bear a son. I'm 99 and my wife is 90. We old, right? We're not going to bear a son. But you see, Abraham couldn't see what God could see. And he only realized that once he was holding baby Isaac in his arms. He only realized that later. And so I believe, fast forward to Genesis 22, I believe Abraham is looking back and he's remembering. I'm not going to question God because he's done this before. He's taken something that I could not perceive with my human mind and he's made a way when I could see no way. And so I think Abraham, as devastated as he probably is, knows that God must be up to something. Some of us are here this morning and are maybe struggling because our lives don't seem to make sense right now. And I think if you're in that place, you need to take a moment to pause and look back. You need to take a moment to pause and walk back your life because I guarantee you, you will see example after example of God's provision. You will see example after example of God answering our prayers when we could not see anything in front of us. When God met us in our darkest valley by bringing people into our lives out of the blue who loved and cared for us. When God healed our child or our parent even though the prognosis was bleak. You know, I, I realized this week, I wrote this sermon in the house that two months ago I thought was crumbling to the ground. If we just took a moment to walk back, even one year, I guarantee you, you would find countless examples of God's provision that you've just forgotten about. And we need to cling to those moments because those are the moments that are going to give us the courage, the hope, and the confidence to face whatever we're facing right now, okay? Now, real quick, I do want to mention that there are two ways this story is often misunderstood and misused in the church. Uh, one of the big questions people have raised with this particular passage that I think is a valid question that I think our youth students would definitely ask me, they ask me the hardest questions, um, is what kind of God commands child sacrifice? Like, even if it's just a test. That's a little extreme, right? I mean, like, why would a God do this? Because doesn't that just like allow people to justify doing things in the name of God that are contrary to the nature of God, right? And, and we don't have to look back far in history to know that there are so many examples of people who've used God's name in vain, who've used God's name to justify committing horrific acts of violence and saying, God made me do it. 
Doesn't this just perpetuate that kind of thinking? That's a good question. And what I want to say is this. I believe that Abraham deep down knew that somehow, some way, both he and Isaac were going to come down that mountain. Again, because he'd been walking with God for over 25 years. So I believe he knew something doesn't fit right now, something's not quite making sense, but I believe that Abraham knew that God saw something in this situation that he himself could not see with his own eyes. And we know this because in verse 5, he turns to his servants and he says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. We will worship and then we will come back to you. I don't know how. I don't know when. I'm not sure how God is going to make all this happen. But in the end, we're both coming back. And then in verse 6, and, and this part as a father just kills me every time I read it. Abraham and Isaac are walking up together. Isaac turns to his dad and he says, Dad, I see the fire. I see the wood. Where, where's the lamb? And it just like makes me so sad whenever I imagine, if I ever imagine one of my kids saying that to me. I see the fire, I see the wood, where's the lamb? Now Abraham could have said, so yeah, um, about that. <laughs> You're it. <laughs> you know, he could have said that, but he doesn't. You know what he says? He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham is so intimately connected to the character of God that even though this situation makes zero sense to him and seems completely contradictory to what God has promised him, he knew it wasn't up to him to figure it out. He says, God himself will provide the lamb. Let God figure it out. Friends, we don't always have to get all the answers to our questions. If you're new to the faith, if you're curious about Christianity and you want answers about your life, I'm sorry to say this, but Christianity often gives you more questions than answers. This is the way God works. But if there's anything this story teaches us is that what God wants to give us aren't just the answers. What God wants us us to do is simply to trust him and to obey but now this brings up a second issue which i think is also a valid issue a lot of times when i've heard this passage preached um, i've heard pastors imply that as long as you're willing to give up something don't worry god's going to give it to you a hundredfold later right if you say lord take my money i surrender it to you that one day God will say, you passed the test. Here you go. Here's a million dollars, right? Lord, if I just give up this job, there's a better job waiting for me. God, if I just give up this relationship that's destructive, don't worry. There's a better person out there waiting for me. That's the way we view this. But that's horrible theology because you don't have to live that long to know that parents lose children every day. Some people never 
have their career aspirations fulfilled. Some people never get married. Some people never have children of their own. This is the way life works. And to believe we can manipulate the hand of God to trick him into giving us what we want is ridiculous. You know, I used to, when I used to be pursuing music, I used to pray all the time, God, I'm going to give up my desire to be a musician. I surrender it all to you. And then I would pray that with one eye open, being like, did I pass the test, God? Now are you going to make me a musician? He's probably in heaven like, this guy's ridiculous. Like, oldest trick in the book. And you know you never surrendered it to begin with. You know why? Because you start resenting God when he doesn't give you what you want when you want it, which means you were using God the entire time anyway. What God wants to do is he wants to free us from the lie that something outside of him can satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. For Abraham, Isaac was his everything. His significance, his security, his emotional center. And God wants Abraham to see that even his son, as precious as he is, cannot save him. Friends, this life is fleeting. This life is so temporary, and yet there's probably that one thing in your life that you've convinced yourself is eternal. We all have that one thing that we hold so close to the chest where we say, God, you can have everything, but just not this. Maybe it's your calling. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's a grudge. Maybe it's a picture perfect life. Maybe it's the white picket fence and the life you drew out for yourself. Whatever that may be, we all have a non-negotiable, something we say, but God, you can't take this. And what this story forces us to ask ourselves is this. At the end of the day, if God took that thing away from you, whatever it is, would you still trust him? Would you still trust that God would provide? Whether you get the thing you want or you don't, do you trust that God can see things you can't see? This is what God is asking Abraham. He's saying, Abraham, do you trust me? Do you trust that the same God who gave you this miracle child is the same God who's going to help you find a solution when you can see no solution? And so Abraham walks up to the place God sends him, and I'm sure he's walking super slow. I'm sure he's like, I'm going, God. Sure you want me to do this? And he says, it says he walks up to the place. He builds an altar. He straps his son down on the wood, picks up his knife in the air to slay him. And suddenly he hears a voice from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And when you see a word repeated twice in the Hebrew, it's always meant to add emphasis, to add emotion, to communicate something deeper. And it's interesting that God calls him twice because at the beginning of this passage, God called him once and Abraham answered. He said, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. So it's not that Abraham can't hear him. It's not that Abraham isn't sensitive to God's voice. Why does God call him twice here? Abraham, Abraham, it's telling us something about God. 
It's telling us something about his heart. He says, okay, don't do it. Abraham, Abraham, don't touch the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And in that moment, Abraham looks up and sees a ram in a thicket caught there, grabs the ram, puts it on the altar, sacrifice the ram, and they name that place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. Now, I don't know how Abraham didn't see the ram in the thicket. Okay, like, rams are big, right? And if I were Abraham, I'd be looking all around. God, you said you were going to provide. Where's that lamb? But it says the moment he has the knife in the air, that's when he sees And I think it's telling us something about the way God works. Oftentimes, God will bring us to the place of utter hopelessness and desperation before he gives us a solution, as if to remind us that at the end of the day, we can't figure it out on our own. All the intelligence, all the money, all the fame, all the comfort that we have in this life, we can't figure it out on our own. And here's why the story of the Bible, every time I read it, it's so rich and it's so beautiful. Because this same mountain that was renamed the Lord will provide is the same mountain where generations later, Jesus, God's only begotten son, would be condemned to die. But this time, not as a test, but as an actual sacrifice for all of humanity. You see, the world Jesus came into was a world not unlike 2022. He came into a broken world. Israel had hung all their hopes and dreams on on these kings, these kings that they would watch rise and then fail miserably over and over and over again. Israel had watched their people be abused and oppressed and be displaced from their homes. And so they're thinking back and they're looking upon this promise that they'd heard since they were young, this promise that God was going to make a great nation through Abraham and his descendants. And my guess is that they probably thought that was a pipe dream now. Their hope was getting dim. Human beings had messed it up too badly this time. But on the mountain that was named Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. God once again made a way when nobody could see a way. He once again provided a lamb, but this time one that would atone for the sins of humanity once and for all. Jesus, too, was strapped to a piece of wood. But whereas a voice from heaven made sure that Abraham's knife never pierced Isaac's chest, heaven was silent when Jesus was being nailed to a cross, utterly silent, so much so that it was Jesus who called out twice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's heartbreaking. You know, I imagine that there were people standing there, looking up at Jesus, hanging there, with a crown of thorns on his head, saying things like, 
Why even give us a Messiah just to take him away? Why make us wait 400 years for something only to have the story end like this? What a waste. But you see, the people there could not see what God could see. Because in just three days, Jesus would be raised from the dead. And his resurrection would mean that all of humanity would be freed from the curse of sin and death once and for all. God will make a way when we see no way. And a God who can restore humanity through the humiliation and shame of a cross certainly can enter whatever season or circumstance you're in and make a way for you and provide a way out for you. He's Jehovah Jireh. Um, to close, you know, some of you may know the story of Inky Johnson. And if you don't, there's a reason why you don't. Uh, Inky Johnson was a highly touted college football player. He was 10 days away from an NFL contract. And uh, literally, like, you know, they projected him to go top 30, which means he was going to be a multimillionaire. Ten more games. The moment his life was leading up to, right? All those years of, of sacrificing weekends and weeknights, practicing late, all the blood, sweat, and tears, everything that he gave up. Football was everything to him. Football was his ticket out of poverty. Football, his football career was what uh, his family's hopes and dreams were hanging upon. Football was everything. And then, with two minutes left in a meaningless college football game against Air Force, Inky Johnson goes to make a tackle. And he makes the tackle. But all of a sudden, he feels his body go limp. And his teammates come up to him and they say, Ink, get up. And he waves them off and he says, I can't move. I can't feel my toes. And basically, he had ruptured an artery in his chest that caused internal bleeding that left his entire right arm and hand paralyzed. And he's talking about this moment. Inky Johnson is a believer, and he's talking about the moment the doctor says to him, Inky, I'm so sorry. You're never going to play football again another day in your life. And he says, as devastating as that moment was, he heard God say something to him. He heard God say, Ink, I know it doesn't make sense right now. I know it doesn't compute, but I got you. And I want you to know I'm going to carry you for the rest of your life. Years later, ESPN did one of those, like, could-have-beens specials, you know, on athletes that could have been great. And they went and they asked him for an interview. And the question, the big question was, Ink, man, what would you give for one day in the NFL? What would you do for that? With all the talent you had, with the future that was in front of you, what would you give? And you know what Inky Johnson said? He said, if you only knew. He said, if you only knew and saw 
what God has done in the lives of all those around me. If you only knew that my dad got saved because of my injury. If you only knew that my three sons, who all went to the NFL first round, got saved because of my injury. If you only read the millions of messages I've received over the past decade from people who've said that my story has inspired them to take a step out in faith, then you wouldn't even ask that question. If you only knew. He says, now, honestly, I've seen God do so many impossible things in my life. I just wake up in the morning and try to stay out of God's way. Let him do his work. At a certain point, all of us are going to be tested. All of us are going to experience something in our lives that's going to force us to ask ourselves whether or not we really believe that God is Jehovah Jireh. When that moment comes, and maybe for some of us that moment is now, the question is this. Will you accept what you can't understand? Will you accept what you can't understand? Can you still trust that God will make a way when you see no other way? Can you still follow Jesus when he says no? It's easy to follow Jesus when he says yes, can you still follow him when he says no? Can you follow him when he says, I want the thing that you hold closest to your heart, whether it's a calling or relationship or a career, I want that. Can you trust that the Lord sees something you cannot see? How would our lives, how would our city how would our families be transformed if we really believed that God was Jehovah Jireh? If we really believe that the same God who raised Christ from the dead is the same God who will provide for us in every circumstance and every season. Let's pray. Our God, Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides when we don't know how to provide for ourselves, the one who sees things we can't see. God, help us to be reminded that you're so much bigger that what you see is so much greater than our small circumstance and our small season. God, I know that many of us in the, are here today and we're struggling to make sense of our lives. A lot of things has, have happened in the past two years that don't make any sense, that feel like they contradict the promises we felt we feel like you've given to us in your word. I know collectively our world is trying to figure out how to navigate a way forward when we have no idea what tomorrow even looks like with this pandemic. I suspect that many of us feel like Abraham walking up the mountain in fear and trembling, holding his son by his side. 
for all of us in that place, I pray that this morning we would acknowledge Jehovah Jireh, the God who makes things happen out of nowhere, the God who provides for us in ways we could never expect, in so much greater ways than we could never comprehend or fathom or imagine, that even through the pain and challenges and valleys of this life, the God who creates, the God who brings beauty out of chaos. We worship you. We surrender our lives to you. We surrender whatever it is that is our source of security, significance, and identity. God, may we recommit our lives to you this morning and say, God, I'm going to ride with you now. I know you can do the impossible. You've done it before. And so I'm going to wake up and just get out of the way and let you do what you do. May that sink deep into our hearts. We thank you for this word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.